Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division in community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City, where we record this and every episode of the podcast. And I'm here with my co-host, team member. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and pull the curtain back. When I do that intro, I zone out because I'm trying to like get all the words right. And I either close my eyes or stare at the desk. And then I look up at John and we just start laughing at one another. Uh, I am here with, as mentioned, my co-host, team member, teaching pastor, father, husband, cousin to somebody. Somebody. John Wagler. Yes. Wags. How's it going, man? I'm good. You know, you know what's been exciting? Um, I got sweatpants uh, a, few, a few like months ago. Like, Is this your first pair of sweatpants? No, it's just, oh. you know how like when you get, like I, I bought um, two pairs of them and okay. uh, they're not like fancy, mm-hmm. you know, because like how fancy can sweatpants right. be? Yeah. But like I feel very comfortable being in public out in them Yeah. as if like, you know, they're stylish. Yeah. And uh, I just have found them to be so enjoyable. I think that is one of the great superpowers of good uh, hip hop artists is like, how do you make sweatpants look fancy? Totally. Or like like a tracksuit look yeah. look nice. I don't know. Like I went out to the grocery it... store this past weekend and I was like in sweatpants and a sweatshirt and I was like and I was like leaving. Right. And I put my vans on. I was like, I mean that's a really good look. I'm just I'm yeah, I'm, you're I'm, just going I'm for like it. proud of that look. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I, much to the horror of our mutual friend, uh, Natalie, recently only got my first pair of sweatpants. Mm. <laughs> and uh, her, my wife has always made fun of me. And then she was just like, you mean you don't have like house clothes, like clothes that you wear in the house? I'm like, yeah, no, I like sleep earlier. in my jeans. I'll die in these jeans. Like I wear my Doc Martens to bed. That's how I am. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Sweatpants are lovely. Yeah. I love it. Um, But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, We're not here to talk about sweatpants. We are here in uh, what we'll go ahead and call like the third installment Mm -hmm. of our um, maybe forever unpacking of the uh, podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. We're not doing a play by play. It ain't like director's commentary for the thing. But we're just um, because we've had so many conversations about that podcast, both between John and I and between all of you. Um, and us and each other and, and within the church. Um, we're just going to kind of continue unpacking some of the themes and lessons um, from the podcast and, and sort of its wider implication yeah. on capital T, capital C, the church. We are thrilled to be joined um, this week by our guest, Nicole Yunus, mm-hmm. um, also a teaching pastor here at our church, um, a published author, uh, the host of the Let's Be Real podcast. Her office says rich mahogany. Yeah, that's right. Her, her office smells of rich mahogany <laughs> and leather-bound books. Um, she's very smart and very lovely and great to be around, and we're excited that she is going to be here to talk to us specifically about sort of... The story of Mars Hill, the story of the church as it is, and how those things play into how we see power dynamics, Um, whether it's, you know, gender stuff or just like charisma, you know, charismatic leadership. um, We're going to talk about power dynamics and how that has kind of played into that story. And I think, yes, and I think... Maybe the next one we do, and maybe this will be the wrap. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it'll be the wrap. No promises. I we could talk about this. this is, they're getting a live back and forth right now. We have not pre-talked about this, yeah. but I might want to talk about um, sex. Yeah, you know, like just because of the that is like such a prevalent element to like the engagement in this podcast. Totally. And um, yeah, I just you know I'm preaching on it. 
Yeah. Uh, on in two weeks from today, but yeah. uh, and so I think I think it'd be a good to like talk about some of that dynamic. Yeah. That was going on there that was so destructive. I think it's time for us to have a couple of parental advisory episodes. Yeah. Um. But no. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah. that just even the fact that Real Sex was the book that Total, kind of absolutely really that podcast yes. and that story circles around in a lot of ways and the way that um Mark Driscoll talked about and taught about um sex and. How, sort of not like oh it's all his fault but more like why how is that indicative of deeper yeah. things that have been and are going on um in our sort of little corner of christendom i think it's super good idea so yeah, yeah i think we'll probably so, lead into some some talk about let's um, talk about sex about <laughs> baby <laughs> um but before we do any of that we are going to do our new segment for 2022 where we talk about things you know where where we shed the uh, the the burden of being reasonable, <laughs> <laughs> and we talk about things that are making us agitated. Yeah, it's our new segment. Stay, Stay furious. Furious? Do I say it like that? Am I Swedish? <laughs> furious at the fjord. Um. All right, I'll go first because, baby, there have been a couple of things this week that have gotten me agitated, but there's one steady thing each and every morning when I wake mm. up that makes me so angry, and that's Wordle. What? Why does Wordle make you angry? It's so frustrating, and I hate it, <laughs> but I can't stop playing it. <laughs> I can't stop. Like, it's like, it's funny because the scores look like Tetris, and Tetris right. is also a game that I hate and can't stop playing. Yeah. It's just, there's just something about it that, like, on the one hand, well, first off, it's infuriating because it's hard. Sure. Um, or it's the perfect mix of guessing and skill. I think sure. that's what agitates yeah. me about it, yeah. right? Like, when I go to, well, I don't anymore, but when I used to go to casinos, I was a roulette guy because I was like, there's no there's no illusion of skill here. You guess. That's right. what you do. You know, blackjack, stuff like that. There's like kind of the, there's it's a mixture of luck and be, skill, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like craps or roulette or or uh, slot machines, those are the ones I liked because I was like, let's not, you know, befool ourselves here. Like I this is there's no skill. Wordle is this perfect combination of of luck and skill that I find infuriating. And yet can't stop engaging in. I know. Um I didn't get null. Noel seems to be the one. It was a week. I didn't or so know you ago, could right? use double letters at that point. I didn't either. Also, silent letters at the beginning of words is unfair. Also, <laughs> Noel seems to be the one that Twitter has unanimously said, like, screw this one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know other people are agitated about Wordle because it is like, you know, being talked about a lot and, yeah. and clogging up a bunch of Twitter feeds. But I just I wake up and it's so tempting to have. Uh, routine. Obviously, I do my walk and I do my, this. And I read my Bible and whatever. But Wordle has like somehow worked its way into my like coffee and cereal time. You know what I do like about it though? Yeah. Well, there there are a couple of things I like about it because I do it at night. I respect that people do not let the word out. You're right. Do you know what I mean? I thought like, about that the other day. There's a mutual respect. I have never had it spoiled. Yes. Never. I have had TV shows spoiled on Twitter. I have had books. You name it. Yeah. Never had a wordle. Isn't that amazing? Like it's yeah. truly amazing that we like collectively throughout <laughs> the amount of people playing this game and collectively we have decided 
we're for, we're we are for one another. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we gonna... are in Wordle together. <laughs> we're in this, this ship together. is sinking, but we're on it. The only person that almost ruined it for me was my son Max. Well, you know, I know. Pre-tune. And I just I was like, you need to shut it, or you're going to bed. Yeah, like, that's literally, what I said. this <laughs> our our you are no longer my son. Our our relationship will never recover if you. <laughs> I do that's like your point. I do like your uh, Tetris to Wordle though, because it's because it's a great comparison. Because I think. I have always argued that I think Tetris is one of the most brilliant games ever created. I think it probably is the most brilliant. It's so simplistic, but man, it ropes everybody in. My wife, who is not a video game person, is so good at it. There's some weird corollary between people who are not into video games. You know who you'll never hear talk about Tetris? Video game people. Like people who can right. like yeah, yeah. pick apart the nuances of like, oh, Zelda's so good because it's this or whatever. Yeah. Or, or you know, they don't, they don't want to talk about Tetris. Interesting. Tetris is... I don't even want it. That'll be my state fear. If we ever download it again, that'll be my state fear. But I, I, you know, obviously I like it on some level because I keep playing it every dang day. Yeah. But I can't. I, I always disingenuous miss, to say it doesn't make me fear. I always miss Saturday and Sunday. So I, my streak never continues. Nope. I always, every day. Yeah. Every day. Mm. Yes, even at church on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> during my sermon lull. Yeah, it's usually during your sermon. No, that's not true. That's how I spend our two minutes to be quiet. No, yeah. that's also not true. Hey, look, I work here. Long. I'm here it between. It takes you way longer than two minutes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. All right, all right. All right, what's what's making you furious this week, John? Um, You know, so two things at restaurants. Um, One, just just write my order down. <laughs> Who are you trying to I, impress? Exa- I'm like, right? I don't care that you just memorize my order. <laughs> like, just get, you know, because it annoys me so much. Cause, and part of it is, I'm a simple, like I'm typically simple in my order, but you know, with Lacey, when she's GF and DF yeah, and like sometimes it's like, does it have sesame in it? Like she has so many yeah. like food allergies. I'm like, just freaking write it down because here's what happens. Like you bring it back and Lacey's like, I said, I can't have dairy on it. And then they bring it back and then yeah. it's like, it's just annoying. And yeah. so I wish they would write down the other thing that Lacey and I were just like, that can't be okay. Right now I've never been a server. Okay. So like in, in a restaurant, so I don't know this to be true. And maybe you know, but they're not supposed to put the thumbs in the plate, right? Ooh, I don't know. I never thought when about that. When they're carrying it? I don't think so. I don't so think so. our waiter the other day at a restaurant that I will not name <laughs> sits both of our plates down, and his thumb oh. is like in both of our bowls. No, I don't and, think that's supposed to and be And his thumbnails. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. It just like. And so we're just like, why? Why does this, why are his thumbs in there? And so, so now we're like trying to like see like when we go out, like is everyone putting their thumbs in plates? I don't think so. Anyway. Oh man, interesting. We'll have to have a waiter on. I know. Or a, a server, server on. Server, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you we're go. furious. <laughs> um, without further ado, we are going to take a quick break, and then we are going to get into talking about power dynamics and the rise and fall of Mars Hill with our special guest Nicole Eunice. Stick around. Y'all know we staying curious over here. All right. We are here with our very special guest. Oh. What does it say on the website? Teaching pastor? I don't know. Yeah. Wow, I, I feel so. so respected right now. Thank you. <laughs> would you Well, I was gonna open with Would you rather have teaching director? <laughs> I was going to open with, we are sitting here with our guest, author of many leather-bound books, Um, multi-published author, teaching pastor here at Hill City, podcaster of her very own much better produced podcast, (laughs) and dear friend of ours, Nicole Eunice. Nicole, 
Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me in, Matt and John. Glad to be here. You're always open invitation. Thank whenever you. we can get you. All right. Well. Um, sorry for opening with disrespect and then moving towards. <laughs> I know. I liked it. And I don't know that any of your books have ever been leather bound. <laughs> it feels like it would be expensive. No, I mean, I was pretty psyched when I just made it to hardcover. I was like, a hardcover book? If you ever ever pitch leather bound to your publishers. It's also like the other thing that's out there, which is just a terrible thing, but it's like when success is upside down, is if you ever get to the point where your face is on the front Mm. of the book, that's usually, to me, the beginning of the end. So I'm going to try to avoid that. Maybe holding like a sponge and a spray bottle over a brain, like... What? <laughs> what? You remember Carolyn that uh, that that Caroline picture Lee? that Caroline Leaf had? <laughs> it was so good. It was like her. It was her holding like a Windex bottle and a sponge over her brain. Wow, that was a real sharp left turn. Yeah. I was not ready. No shade at Doctor Leaf for her author picture. Um, so this is not what we're here to talk about. This is what happens when we let literally one other person and into the true, room. We are not. Yeah, we're when you, especially when you let this other person. Yeah, so yeah, especially when you were actually friends with in real life. Um, we are here to talk about, this is the third part of our mm. who knows how many part series on unpacking the hit podcast and very interesting story, mm. The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mm. We wanted to have Nicole in today because um, something we kind of started to touch on in the last two episodes, but really wanted to unpack and really wanted to have A, another leader, B, a teacher, and C, a woman mm. here for is power dynamics and how mm-hmm. it related to what we kind of saw unfold both in real life when it was happening, but also sort of over the life of this podcast that has really caught fire mm-hmm. um, through the, the sort of Christian world mm-hmm. and the church. So um, let's open, Nicole, with your – since you haven't been part of this conversation on the podcast. Sure. And actually, I don't know that you and I have ever actually talked about the podcast, or maybe you and John did, but have yeah, we ever had like like the, yeah, yeah. the dinner conversation that yeah. everyone's been having? Just the, like, I have to stop and take a break. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. I have to fast-forward yeah. through him Slowly, yelling yes. at me. Um, what Can I is, say something really quick yeah. about the podcast that has been encouraging, Okay, honestly? Um. I've talked to several people who started listening to the part mm-hmm. because we've talked about it that have no idea who Driscoll is. And I was like, oh, don't listen to it. Then. <laughs> there was like a part of me was like, yeah. don't listen to this then. You know, but but then I was like, no, they should listen to it because that can be like a protective thing. But I was like, it was an encouraging element of like, mm, we might think he's like super famous or we might think, you know, but it was like kind of nice that I've talked to several people recently that have no idea. Mm-hmm. And they're not like, 21 years old and like sure. new to the faith you know so that was like a encouraging element yeah. that some of the things that we might get into or you know we start pontificating about that yeah. there are often times where people are like I don't, I mean, I don't know yeah I'm and that's <laughs> that's one of the things we've brought up a bunch of times yeah. on the show is like when we see the response of like this is a great example of why we need to burn the whole thing down or like evangelicalism is unsavable or whatever our response is always basically that, which is you got to remember, like, dude, man was fake famous in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's yeah. not Bono. Like, he not, like this feels like a big deal and is, and we have a lot to it learn is, from it. Sure. But like, in the yeah. larger scheme of things, like, he's not Billy Graham. Like, well, not everybody knows who he is. Right? Yeah, and it. But I think that if you are a believer in the church and you're not connected to some of these things, then when you do have things like this come across your newsfeed, you're like, oh my, like it. It can be so overwhelming mm-hmm. that. I do appreciate the deep dive for those mm-hmm. who have been hurt by church or aren't sure how they feel about certain things. There is a deep dive 
that allows a fuller picture to develop that is more than a headline, yeah. which I think is good as well. That's and it good. gives people a chance. Like, if they haven't been able to frame what they're in, yeah. you know, like, they might hear it and be like, uh, my pastor has said something like that. Or mm, yeah. I'm in some... I never thought that that was wrong or I never, mm-hmm. you know, cause sometimes people don't know, yeah. you know, so, or maybe even the reverse of that being in a place where, uh, a pastor is so like on like a pedestal, you know, that yeah. you're like, you might start thinking like, hold on a second. That might be a little bit of where I'm at, you know, and it can uh-huh. be like a warning sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Nicole Eunice, author of the miracle moment and hope my Bible's <laughs> alive and host of the let's be real podcast. I want to know. That was impressive. Um, I've, been, I've been thinking about it the whole time. I've been sitting here. Uh, I just want your opening thoughts on like, what did you think about the podcast? Would yeah. you like, not like about it? Um, how did it affect how the story or the retelling yeah. of the story affect you? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I am one of those people who did, um, I was in the church and I was in my like young ministry life when the Mark Driscoll phenomenon was occurring. And I, I mean, people say this now all the time from hindsight, but like I was very uncomfortable and I pulled some content out in ministry I was working in that had was being used and just over because I just um, something about arrogance in the seat of the pastoral role is to me like the biggest red flag that I think is out there. And so even then I I was uncomfortable, but yet at the same time, like many others, like kind of fascinated by, you know, they were early adopters of technology, media, multi-site, the ability to uh, contextualize scripture and, and kind of make a series, a sermon series, the level of creativity on their stuff. You hear about all that on the podcast. So I was alternately like, this guy is not good (laughs) with this like fascination of like, look what they're doing. Like Mm -hmm. it just was because I loved that stuff and I loved and was working, especially in a context where there was that desire to really reach people who weren't being reached. So on that side, like as it was happening. So my, my engagement with the podcast, I really truly found it gripping um, and so true and real. And I think one approach, because my background is first in psychology and then in ministry, as far as like my schooling, um, one of the things that struck me that I think is really important is that this kind of power dynamic impacts and affects every institution, mm-hmm. not just the church. But then you get to some of the sort of the meat of the podcast where we have this additional layer of like what spiritual authority and spiritual abuse does to folks and even small nuanced ways that that can play out in our leadership and our management when we are in ministry um, that are just so important to watch. I just I think that would be kind of my sum up of that experience was okay what we're hearing from this guy like this is just a typical narcissistic leader that literally exists in every industry in the whole world yeah but then you're talking about people's souls which they i think they did an amazing job of addressing like that level and that nuance and that very very important twist of this story is that there really was spiritual abuse and like what that does to people when the deepest foundation of our humanity and our understanding of the world and eternity has been now twisted or corrupted by um, someone who's called a mouthpiece of, of God. So that just was, just grieved my heart so deeply, just such a, such a loss and so hard. And I think they did a great job of telling that story. 
So when you were in the midst of it, when it was actually happening, mm-hmm. um, and you were in ministry mm-hmm. or getting into ministry, and you automatically felt red flags. Yeah. Um, do you think that the fact that the brand was edgy? Yeah. Did it make you second guess yourself? Like, well, this feels uncomfortable to me, but it's supposed to because it's like real. Mm-hmm. Or, or do you feel like you trusted your instincts enough to be like, no, this is red flags because I have good instincts. Well, I think I think it was actually, to be honest with you, I felt like this isn't for me. And that's very clear. Hmm. So the the brand, like if you've listened to Marcel, I will say going back to that, my own season in my own life, what Mark Driscoll did is he knew his brand and he did nothing but promote that brand because here I am in Richmond, Virginia. And when I hear the Marcel podcast and I know what they were trying to do, I'm like, that's exactly the message I was receiving. Mm-hmm. The message was the church is losing men. Mm-hmm. There are not manly men who will draw men in. So on one hand, I was like, and the message isn't for me. Go, maybe, maybe I don't understand how men need to be reached. No. And this guy, they, everyone around me seems to think he's so awesome and so whatever that I almost was like, I guess it's not my job to, to say like, this guy seems trashy. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the word that comes to mind. I, I don't mean that about his identity as a human being, but like his shtick, like his brand, like the way he was going about it, it just was like... Okay, so, but I guess it's working. And then that kind of gets at the heart of any mother, any wife who's like, oh, I want my husband, I want my sons, I want my brother to be reached. Mm -hmm. And if this guy's doing it, and that's the deception part, it's like, well, maybe he's doing something. I mean, and then you'll hear a little snippet because, of course, you're far away. And they talk a lot about that. You're just receiving the brand, you know, the language that is out there. And so from far away, you catch a snippet or two and you're like, well, when I listen for five minutes, like he's preaching the gospel, I guess. I mean, you know, so you, you get this weird, which is humanity. I mean, we're all a mix of good and evil. And, you know, like, so you, you, you kind of then reserve judgment, which I actually think is what a lot of people did. Is it was like, well, that was edgy, but I mean, he did preach the gospel. Like we did baptize people and we did, you know, yeah. and you feel you got this mix, which as we know, is like a lot of the exact mix of an abusive relationship right. in general. Like that's yeah. what it is. So I, I do, when I listened to the podcast, it took me back to a lot of those just thoughts that I had about what was happening from a, from a, you know, from a distance, just watching it happen. Yeah, that's something that I've talked about on the other episodes, but something really convicting for me in listening to Mm -hmm. it is this idea that like once the brand is edginess, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a mass gaslight because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, it's supposed to. You're the problem. Mm -hmm. That's like the subtext Mm -hmm. for men, I think, even like for me when I I won't retell the whole story, but like I wasn't in ministry. I was working at a Christian record Mm -hmm. label. And, you know, a lot of people around me were very into it. And I was just like, ah, I don't know. Like, this just doesn't like I feel like this guy's going to jam me in a locker, not like show me Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't you know, I just not, you know, uh, but that but the response was, well, you're supposed to feel that way. It's mm. like you, it's almost like makes you think you're the problem because you're not like ready to hear for men anyway. Like you're not ready to hear the hard yeah. truth. I actually think that was the man message because that wasn't I wouldn't say I mean I can't speak for all women but I don't think I think it was like you're not really like hey sweetheart you stand over here Mm. you already know Jesus you're not not invited to this party but I'm gonna take care of your men yeah and now I'll make I'll do for you yeah I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself Mm. so I bet it did it is interesting to hear you say that because that was and it 
this is, again, let's cover this whole conversation with Grace because there's so many things we don't know. But what did strike me about listening to the podcast, one of those things about men Mm -hmm. is that I remember being um, on a ministry trip, trip in South Africa and we were in and around Cape Town, which is wealth surrounded by poverty, like just generally kind of the way up the post-apartheid uh, community looks. And there is a this like striking exponential rise of um, the Muslim faith mm-hmm. in the townships. Okay. But the, the, the shade of the Muslim faith is basically this bro culture that will give men purpose, value, um, character and 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 I thought this is really interesting to watch how in different religions and organizations this concept of we have a lost generation of men and we have to call them to a challenge and to war and to whatever exists and wow. has a power it's a powerful corrupt yeah. message really yeah because yeah, you tap into a certain element for a man that does feel attractive on mm-hmm. some end right right like for for most men. Um, not all men, but for most, the idea of strong yeah. or like taking care of something or like that, whether it's war or physicality or sure. whatever, there is, if you can tug on that string, like you can start pulling some people. And I thought what Driscoll did and what the brand did was interesting because I think on the front end, this is how deception works, right? Like it just distracts you a little bit. Yeah. You know, and so on the front end, it was just like minor distractions because like when you I remember first starting listening to him, he was not who he was, mm-hmm. you know, five mm-hmm. years later, you know. Um, but even like uh, their brand, in the beginning, it was like cool. Yeah. You know, like they were they were doing some cool things that you're like, whoa, this is like really cool. Like how they're like doing this whole like sermon series and the graphics with oh, it. And, yeah, like yeah. and it was like, this is like super cool. Mm-hmm. But then it started it was just like little, it was like little by little. Mm-hmm. It was like the, it's just like the allure of success, right? You become yep. blinded to those things. And, and it was like little by little. Then all of a sudden, I do remember, Lacey and I were talking about this. He's actually quoted, we were, when before we started recording, we were talking about the book, The Great Sex Rescue, where he's quoted as talking. He has this line about oral sex that is crazy. And I, and I vividly remember him talking about that. And, um, and that was like, I had like gone sour on him before that. Um, but that was like, I'm like, that dude's off his rocker. You know, wow. like when he was like, if you know mm-hmm. the quote, it's, it's horrendous. And so, um, but anyway, there, there was just this piece with him that he was tapping into something in the mm-hmm. beginning and then he just got wild. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, and I don't, yeah, I mean, we can't, we don't know exactly, but exactly what happened with him or, but I do often yeah wonder how that the response began to corrupt and leave the real message of the gospel because it did seem like there was a time where it was the real message of the gospel combined with this like really amazing and I I think it's important to say that because if we make him if we make Mark Driscoll and that's what was my concern with the podcast if we make Mark Driscoll this anomaly that's like this evil person got a hold of the church we miss the ramifications for our everyday life in the power and influence that all of us each carry and I think that's actually the more important part of the story is to know there was a progression. Um, there may have been honorable intent at some point, and then something happened. And that something that happens happens in various shades to people um, with power. And yeah. um, so I just, I yeah, I think to your point about hearing some of those things and being like, how do we get 
how did we get here? Yeah. You know, hmm. I think it's interesting too with with that piece when you talk about the power dynamic. If you're not, you see it in other ways in the church, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you take what he would teach around sex, sexual stuff, whatever, and you think about it this way, like so often in church circles, when we talk about lust, we say dudes all struggle with lust mm-hmm. as if women don't. And then we say, women, you have to dress modestly uh-huh. because, well, then what's received is it's the women's fault that the dude struggles with lust. And so the messaging, like there's a power dynamic yeah. that ends up happening there. And so you see it in little ways in the church too. That's like, Hey, Driscoll was there once. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. that's like, that's the sensitivity we need to have to the power dynamic. It's like, that's, I mean, it was like in that general realm, like in the beginning and it just kept piling right, on. Right. Yeah. Right. How do you, as um, a woman, but also as a leader and a teacher, um, how do you kind of view the, what the message of the moral of the story is? Cause one of the things we mm-hmm. talked about is like, if you're watching it to look, mm-hmm. if you're listening to it just to see how bad he is to yeah. feel better about yourself, you miss the point, yeah. right? It's about how could you have been him or how could you have been somebody who, um, you know, enabled him or, yeah. or somebody who was hurt by him. Um, so for you as a, a woman and a leader um, now, what do you think is the sort of moral of the story as it pertains to gender and power dynamics? Mm. Just just a small, yeah. easy just to answer I can cut out. See, that's when you're quiet. Think about it for a long time and then tell me to cut out the silence so it sounds like you had a quick answer because you're a genius. Mm. Well, um, I can only speak from my own experience, but I want to separate the question about what is it, what's the moral of the story with power dynamics and what's the moral of the story with gender and power dynamics because it's like that's even more. So for me, the moral of the story with power dynamics is that we all have lives to live that require courage and courageous conversations. And when you think about just the layers of power or not power that were present and the people who are part of the story who kind of truly like sacrifice themselves in some way or sacrifice um, what would be something that they could be a part of and they're able in just beautiful storytelling from their own experiences they're able to name this is what this was doing for me and I had to leave that and I'm sad about it and whatever but I I think I know I did the right thing um I think we just need more people like that in general who in the small ways in our in our personal relationships this is the way that we're able to engage with one another because I think when we're a part of something big that's a movement that's that's um it's like a drug and it can be your kid's sports team it can be you know your church it can be whatever it can be something that you're doing at work and we just need to be aware that, like, as human beings, we are very drawn in by that. Very. It, uh, you know, Dan Allender says that we are all created for intimacy and impact, which is when we're talking about men and, like, oh, we want to be some part of something more. All of us want that, right? And so when you get into something that is impactful, you can lose your soul a little bit in it and because of how powerful it is. So I think all of it, that's kind of like the power dynamics moral of the story. The gender and power dynamics moral of the story for me, and I, again, this is just very personal, like a little bit vulnerable because I'm not trying to make a statement about how everyone needs to be. 
But I've realized because I work in a lot of circles where I'm the only female in the room. And um, one thing I've noticed is that um, behavior changes because I'm just there. And that can be that can be make things feel a little less fun. Like I know I love women. I love um, I love women's ministry. I love working with women. I know that with when I have five of my favorite women in the room, my favorite friends, and we're doing things together, and a guy comes into the circle, it's going to change the dynamic of what that meeting feels like. It just does. And maybe I really want to catch up with my girlfriends. And like, that's really what I want to do. And I want to talk about a problem in my marriage for a second or something, whatever. And then I feel like I kind of can't. Um, and, and so if we flip the script, like, I feel like I'm in that room a lot where the dynamic changes. But actually, I think what happens is it changes for the better for what the mission requires. Mm. Um, that actually, yeah, like maybe it's more fun to go golfing together or whatever. I mean, that's so stereotypical, but you hear me. I mean, if you guys like to go get pedicures, that's fine. Like maybe it's more fun <laughs> yeah. to go. And I feel like sometimes that like bro culture or girl culture, to me, it doesn't represent the fullness of the heart of God. That the, the heart of God and the image of God is actually best represented with women and men working together. And yes, it changes the dynamics. And maybe it does feel different. People show up differently. But I think for what the mission requires, when, when I specifically am talking about leadership and leading something together, I'm not talking about your small groups or discipleship or all those places where we might have real like intimate heart connection. But when we're talking about the mission, <laughs> like I feel like the mission actually requires uh, men and women together, like working side by side to advance that, even though it feels different. And I think some of what happened at Mars Hill, <laughs> some or all of what happened would not have happened if there had been a different view of women overall, even if what was taught was shady. Like if the leadership even had been different, I think we would have seen that story go very differently, like just overall. So, which of course never would have happened, but if it could have, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. But that's the, but that is the kind of stuff that does happen in other people's churches. And when there's leaders who are humble and who seek counsel and are willing to listen on both both to both men and women, then perhaps some of the things that were so harmful and hurtful to both men and women maybe would not have made it (laughs) to Mm -hmm. the stage had it been a different approach before. Because we're fallible, and John and I, we teach a lot. I'm definitely, definitely going to teach something that hurts someone unintentionally, that that hurts their their experience of themselves, or I'm going to say something out of turn that's going to make them feel shame or doubt something in their family, or something's going to happen, and I'm going to do that. So, because we're fallible. So, but there's that spirit of like, hey, you know, I'm just imagining John being like, I feel like you like really threw shade at guys mm-hmm. like on that last. I, don't, I know you didn't mean to, but I think you did. Like the fact that we could do that and see things from different perspectives, I think, can alleviate, not remove, but alleviate some of that corruption of power that often happens in churches like that. Yeah, it builds awareness too, right? Right. But I mean, on the other hand, Willow Creek is egalitarian yeah. and, you know, they also experienced power dynamics that yeah. were painful and, hor- you know, so I'm not saying it can solve it. But from my personal viewpoint and my own experiences, I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. I think we talked, I mean, we recorded a while ago, but I think we talked about one of the episodes, like at the end of the day, character and humility, it doesn't matter what system you're in, mm-hmm. like character and humility in the leaders, like that's all that matters. Yeah. Because like. You know, we've to your point, we've seen like a church like Mars Hill, mm-hmm. who's like overtly toxic masculine, to Willow Creek mm-hmm. that 
you know, elevated women like from the stage yep. and did all these different things. Like think about all the women that have come out of that church that have yep. done like big things mm-hmm. um, to, you know, small churches on all different levels. It's like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're non-denominational or part of a larger denomination mm-hmm. or you have like all you have 14 elders or you have none. It's like the character and the humility of the leader deeply matters. Like, yeah. You can't escape that. And I, I mean, I almost like, I almost framed the question like that you should expect the, the, you should expect power to corrupt you no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. And so you should be making like, you should make adjustments for that before it even happens. <laughs> like rather than thinking, Oh, there must've been something about Mark. He just like, wasn't whatever and whatever. Right. And it's like, well, no, like, do you have a counselor? Like, do you have like, what, who, who is your spiritual director? What does it look like for you to be honest? Like starting to ask questions like that as a leader far before you get to that place, rather than thinking, Oh, I'm just not like that. Yeah. Like I, that wouldn't happen to me. And I'm like, well, it's happened to a lot yeah. of people, men and women alike, not just men for sure. Women I've had, you know, in my little, corner of the world knowing women who are have are powerful and have a lot of influence and knowing some people that have been hurt by them believe me this is not a gender specific problem <laughs> like power and ego and pride corrupt equally <laughs> men yeah. and women yeah and i think that's something that people especially in the church but i, I think organizationally i want yeah. to kind of touch on how this affects outside of the church at some point but um this idea that People think that, like, if you're, um, if the level at which you need to be watchdogged for uh, corruptibility is like two when you're not a leader, mm. it doesn't stay two when you become a leader. Like, mm-hmm. as your power increases, your accountability has to increase. Yeah. I don't know how we so often miss, not we at Hill City, but like we as a church, the church. Yeah have missed that so often is like, it literally doesn't matter who you are. The more power you have, the more incorruptible you become. That's yeah. just how people work. I think it's one of the great lessons of the, of Jesus with wealth yeah. and like the camel through the eye of the yeah. needle. He's simply saying like, look, the more you, not even how much money you have, but like the more power and influence you have, the harder it is for you to like thread that needle. Yeah. Like you have to have, uh, accountability in place more so than the person who has nothing and has no power. It's a this gives me like an inter, it's an interesting tangent. But I just read I recently read a Harvest Harvard Business Review article about self awareness, and they were exploring the fact that self awareness actually goes down as people become more powerful, mm. and they were exploring some of the reasons that might be the case. And one of them is that people stop being honest around them, which yeah. is. Again, one of those accountability pieces where it's like, okay, if I have a lot of influence and I have people around me who perhaps like enjoy my influence, they are far less likely to actually be honest. So it's on me as the leader to figure out what does that look like for me to actually seek honest feedback because I may not (laughs) get it. And the idea that um, the, the strengths that a younger manager or leader had often erode with power, Mm. but then no one's honest with them about it. And Mm. so they're actually much less self-aware than they uh, rate themselves in in reviews. So that's like, to me, that's exactly this power dynamic thing that happens over time. When charisma is a drug, right? Right. Like when you're talking about, (laughs) why why don't we know that? You know, like in the church or in any organization, but it's like, well, when someone with charisma can gather people, Mm -hmm. can, you know, help, produce can whatever because like this is in business like even when i was in the engineering world to sell us all the time like people would get elevated into Mm -hmm. like vice president roles and everything it was solely it was nothing to do with character 
it was you could produce and then you you had like charisma that people were drawn to and like they just glossed over so many things and I feel like that that happens all the time in a church where it's like someone's in a, like they're just like serving somewhere and they're like whoa look at this person like they can man they're, they're killing it over there you know whatever and we don't do the work to see like yeah but do they actually have any kind of character humility yeah. or whatever you know? I heard a guy um, I was listening to a pastor and he was teaching from first John about false prophets which is rarely taught and he was like we have like false prophets are very gifted that's how they get so many people to listen <laughs> right. to them. I think we can, because part of it is because it might be a message we hear, but it might also be just a connection that we make. As just congregants or people listening to someone, we can believe the lie that if a person is gifted, it's because God has gifted them. Therefore, they are trustworthy and they're worth listening to and they're whatever because they're so good at it. Mm. And this guy's point, which I so appreciated, he was like, no, they have tons of charisma. That's why they're wolves and like, that's why they're wolves in sheep's clothing because they're super gifted. They're really yeah. good at it. But yeah. that doesn't mean they're God's anointed. <laughs> like it yeah. doesn't, that's not how mm-hmm. it works. And that I just remember thinking like that, that's really helpful because I fall into that too. Sure. I'm like, gosh, look, listen to your voice. <laughs> You're such an amazing worship leader. Right really? Are you? You know, like, I don't know. Am I being deceived? I'm not to make a second guess everything, but it's about that question of like, well, what really makes someone gifted for ministry is their character. And that's not something that you can easily discern from their five minutes on stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it comes from self clarity also for groups. Like we can't put Mm -hmm. everything on charismatic people or, or, um, leaders, you know, natural leaders or people with gifts for administration and leadership. Um, it's also for, for sort of us, the people or like the listeners, the more self clarity you have, the more self clarity you develop in groups of people, be it the church or a company or whatever, the more likely those people will have the clarity to go. I really like it when he talks Mm -hmm. or like, man, when she like tells a joke, I don't just laugh. I feel like I would like for her to be my friend. Mm -hmm. I'm suspicious of that. <laughs> not bad. It's not a bad thing. But I can remember when I worked in production, we did a lot of political work. I won't call anybody out to make it political, but there's a certain Virginia politician that we worked with. And uh, he was not yet in the seat that he was in. We were helping him with his commercials and stuff for his campaign. And when I left my first meeting with one-on-one meeting with mm-hmm. him, I was just like, I am uncomfortable because I feel like if that dude had told me to jump off a bridge for a minute, I would have thought about it. <laughs> like I really liked being around yeah. him, but in this, not in the way that I like being around my friends or my uh-huh. wife. Like I, yes. there's something about that person. And automatically I was like on guard, mm. which can quickly like anything lead to cynicism and, right. and stuff, yeah. which we don't want. But like the more you kind of feel like, this is some, you know, the, the more you feel that feeling of your kind of false self being attracted yeah. to another person's persona, if you have self-clarity, you're able to go like, man, I really like it when he preaches versus like the associate pastor. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about that. You know, like I just wonder it's hard what it though, is. right? Like oh, yeah. we've all been around bad speakers. Truly. <laughs> I didn't know that's where we're going. I love them. But you know We've all been around like people you're like, but I do prefer the other person. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean, like, so there, I do think that piece is hard to wrestle with of because we all have natural things that we're attracted to in a speaker, a singer, right. a whatever, a leader. And, and so there is something. So to that politician, he might not have, well, he might have turned out to be a dirtbag. Yeah, know, but, he did. He turned okay. out to suck. But. All right. But 
Let's just say he didn't. Um, it's you know, there's there could have been that same element right. could have been there, but that would might have been like because of there was a genuine authenticity. Yeah, right. You know that like you're drawn into that you're like, man, I'm, now I'm gonna vote for that dude. I'll yeah. do whatever that dude said. You know, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, whatever she said, whatever you know. And so that is like a hard balance, I think, to figure out because you you have to pay attention to like little things and you got to be around people a little bit to like see yeah. those elements. You know. Well, and I I hadn't thought of this before but like I think the the question is are we dehumanizing a person we always say dehumanizing to mean negative generally we're talking about when we like look at a pe- group or person or a group of people and we put a name on them and move away from them as human beings but I actually think it's dehumanizing also when we're attracted to like someone's language and we're like I just feel like I follow this person we actually are not making them human anymore either and so maybe that's another yeah. way to look at it is yeah. like man I love when this girl leads worship but I should keep in mind like she's a human being who probably has like anxiety insecurity and you know yeah. Maybe he's feeling it. Maybe she isn't. Yeah, but yeah. God's using it because <laughs> then it's just point. keeping yeah. her a human yeah. and not expecting. And that's what I think happens is like somehow we turn off the thinking part of our brain. Sometimes when we we decide this person, I can put my trust in. Even though in Scripture it says that Jesus never entrusted himself to men because he knew it was in the heart of all men. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference between following someone, appreciating them, respecting them, and then entrusting ourselves to mm-hmm. them. And I think charisma like Mark Driscoll when corrupted leads to the ability to have people entrust themselves to you in a way where they no longer have their like their own moral mm-hmm. compass because of the slow gaslighting of like well this is a church and I like that it's strong and I like that we're like this and then I like that we're like that and sure I guess church disciplines in the bible so this is normal that this happens mm-hmm. and the next thing you know we're like in a demon exercise like yeah. that's how that happens um and it could happen to any one of us like it's there's nothing about the people that made them more susceptible but I think even being able to say, wait a second, like, let me just make sure that when I see this person literally up above me, like on a stage, that I don't forget that they're a human being. Like, It's like, I, and I know Nicole's done this too. It's like, um, I sit with Don Coleman on his front porch. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you've done it too. Oh, yeah. um, and um, it's like, he's never had a big church. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, you know, he people know him, but it ain't about that like right. it's not you know and is he charismatic sure yeah. but it's never about that you know everyone's drawn into him because his authenticity the fact that he'll pray at any moment mm-hmm. you don't even know if he's praying sometimes yeah. you're just like oh amen yeah. you know like but like there's like uh there's that piece that i don't think it's elevated enough in leaders because mm-hmm. it's like this you, you want to hesitate right because you're like those guys like or those women did like really well in that spot mm. maybe we shouldn't elevate them but we should know what they're doing mm-hmm. you know it's like yeah. to that faithful woman or man that's leading a church in rural nebraska yeah. you know and you're like they've been doing it for 37 years with so much character mm. and it's like you don't want to like elevate them to a level because it's like could that corrupt them yeah <laughs> you know too but but how are they doing it like yeah. you know like that's like some of the stuff i don't think we mm-hmm. think through very often well and i think that is where we maybe are tempted to or should rightfully put the growth model on trial or the attractional model on trial because mm. the attractional model elevates the charismatic person oh i mean that as you said yeah, pastor yeah. coleman never had a huge church yeah you know uh, it reminds me of uh 
the guy who taught me to play guitar is probably still one of the best guitarists I've ever met. Dynamic, like good in so many different ways. And I remember one day I asked him when I was a teenager, I said, you know, who's the greatest guitar player of all time? Expecting, you know, Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, whatever. And he's like, oh, you'll never know. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, the greatest guitar player of all time is playing in some bar in New Orleans right now. <laughs> no one's ever going to know. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's just how it is. Yeah. Eric Clapton would tell you the same thing. Jimi Hendrix would have told you the same thing. And I think that's there's something to that is like, who's who's the best leader? Who's the greatest pastor? Who's the wisest, sagest counselor? Mm-hmm. In some ways, you might never know because he's in Nebraska. Like, he, I know. Or she's a, like. For every, I know, I'm with you. But for every time that happens, I'm like. Yeah, but like I know people know Andy Stanley and that dude's like solid. Yeah. He's got, well, and like, I think like there's yeah. like a there's there's like a little back and forth with it. And I think what we're saying is you just have to keep questioning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I would yeah, I would push back against the like, well, should we question the attractional model? Well, if the attractional model elevates one person mm-hmm. who is like yes. above reproach, then yes. But I don't I think that's different than the and if we, we can also define the attractional <laughs> model, but the yeah. idea of like Every big church is going to be corrupt is I don't think true. And I don't think every small church is righteous. Actually, there's usually like sometimes there's even worse spiritual abuse going on. So I think what we do want to ask is what is it like to be elevated and then isolated as a communicator? Mm -hmm. Like, is that the like, do we want to address like that? And to me, I would say, yes, that's what I would want to address is a I mean I remember being um, in some different churches and I was in a church where apparently the the pastor never comes to a service like you just go from the green room this is not this is not uncommon Mm -hmm. from the green room to the stage back to the green room Mm -hmm. until the next time that you see on the tv that the end of the worship song is coming and you go from the green room to the stage personally as a pastor i take i take um a problem i i take real offense offense. Yes. yes because i'm like you're called to shepherd a congregation whether you have lots of other people shepherding with you or not and if that seems to me like a very dangerous ground to be in where mm. it's like I'm just my, I'm just isolated and I'm I'm handled to be a person who does this one thing. Mm. And that's my experience over time. I would imagine that that would be it would be very difficult to stay in touch with humanity yeah. um, if that was your experience. And I, I would feel so- sorry for someone like that. Yeah. And it doesn't ha- doesn't start that way yeah. that it's just it that happens probably slowly over time. Mm. Um, and people don't even apologize for that anymore. Mm-mm. Like, yeah. I, there's one pretty famous um, pastor who got in Spitgate recently. Um, but, I don't know <laughs> but anyway, um, like I've seen something like of him posting. Sometimes I'm like, I, I don't understand why you're not shy about that. You know, like mm-hmm. just like you know, there's there's people out there that you know might show themselves in the green room during the service. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? As if I'm like, you know, that's like problematic, right? But they don't even like think about it, you know? And so, anyway, but at the same time, like there's, I'm thinking of someone in our church who I remember a couple of years ago, I was like, yeah, I was in a house church and I started to describe it, which is like the smallest you could get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. You were in a cult. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so like there's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Anyway. I think to clarify my point about, or my sort of point about the temptation to put the attractional model on trial, which is always going to be the force temptation no matter what. <laughs> this is what this is what Enneagram fours are for. <laughs> like Bob Dylan would have never gotten anywhere if there weren't a bunch of fours being like, I know he can't sing, but like he's so cool. You know? 
uh, when you were talking about like, yeah, but wouldn't you always rather hear a better speaker? I'm like, no, I don't trust people who are good at speaking. I want to hear. I can remember seeing Jay Baker speak one time, and the dude could literally barely string a sentence together. I was like, this is the best sermon I've ever seen. Matt, um, does, Matt does not trust us or thinks that we're bad speakers. He which one is it? <laughs> You'll never know. John, I know John's brain's moving so fast. Enneagram threes over here are like, how can we be successful for Matt? I don't know what to do. Our brains were frying. Sing off key. I'll love you. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I guess my point about the attractional model or my curiosity about it is not necessarily definitely not that like they're all corrupt right. or that there's not super corrupt. Um, even if it wasn't a cult, like you totally, you can have a bad house church yeah, where yeah. there's just like some dude or lady that has set up their little fiefdom and just yes. knows that they can control these Absolutely. 10 people. Yeah, so yeah, it never yeah. tries to grow. But I guess in the attractional model, the danger becomes it's not even necessarily an indictment, but rather something to keep in mind is that. If there is a Tim Keller and Andy Stanley, somebody who we've sort of decided mm-hmm. has panned out to be solid, but is yeah. also a good speaker, um, and they are next to another pastor who is uh, maybe a little wiser than them, or maybe has a little more character, but isn't as engaging, mm-hmm. the attractional model is always going to sort of like weight the grade for the person who is just like good, like entertaining, or or not entertaining, but like engaging in, in how they how they present or or how they are or uh does that make sense i think it's always been that like yeah i think that's just like how it works when paul's like i mean there's paulos there's you know he's yeah. like ro- rolling through people and even paul himself says like i'm not that great of a speaker yeah you yeah. know so i think it's always been that way that you people are just going to be attracted to certain people more you know and that's not necessarily a bad thing it doesn't have to be a bad thing that you have charisma mm-hmm. you know or that you're talented yeah. doing something oh no not at all you know and i know you're not saying but that. i think just, paul paul's a great example of like he didn't try to do what you know his quote unquote descendants or like you know the sort of catholic church mm-hmm. the popes tried to do later which was centralized power and just sure. be like i'm the guy at the top sure. and all that he went around and set up little he didn't try to be the like head pastor of the first ever mega church. Mm. He knew that like, and we don't know, you know, we don't know. It's speculation yeah. historically, but like maybe Apollos or like maybe some of these people were mad charismatic or like just super fun to be mm-hmm. around or whatever. Although Paul did, I don't know. Paul did like kind of write like, you got to listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, true. you know, like there's like, I don't know. I, What's I, your, I, yeah, I guess Matt, what are you driving at with the idea of like, let's put a solid guy who's an amazing communicator next to another solid female who is even more wise Mm -hmm. but not as engaging what are you driving at that we're missing out on some of the treasures of the kingdom that we shouldn't do that or like i'm just curious or that we should just be aware that um it is under an attractional model going to be weighted one way in the opposite of like a non-attractional model so super high church uh I don't know, however, whatever you want to say is more closed off and less attractional uh-huh. is going to be like, well, you know, father so-and-so is like the smartest. He knows the most Latin. He has worked his way up. And so he's the boss, whether people right. want to hear his homily or not. Yeah. yeah. They don't, you know, it, there's, they have other challenges. Yeah. One of the challenges we need to be aware of as like churches that are attractional on some level or another, um, which I feel like Hill City is is sure. always being aware that just like non-attractional quote air quotes for the podcast non-attractional churches have their own issues one of our issues is always going to be asking the question are we putting too much stock into the fact that this person is a good speaker or likable yeah versus what's their actual and that's how we got here in the first place we yeah and i would know. say it's actually probably bigger than that right like it's like 
So anyone that's an attractional model would be like if you kind of view a funnel. The attraction model has a larger funnel up top, mm-hmm. meaning like there are elements that we're trying to like tap into. There's creativity. There's different ways that you're trying to attract people to the message that you have some freedom to do. And um, and then in a non, I'm going to say non-attractional, but a high liturgical church. Mm-hmm. A repugnant model. <laughs> a repulsive <laughs> an ugly model. Repulsive. An ugly model would be, <laughs> is like there's a set thing and it just is. Right. And you, they don't do much with it. Right. Right. I mean, that's like essentially that is like bare bones. But so I think it's bigger, though. So, of course, we we, we are. I, I would argue I don't know why you wouldn't want to be attractional. Like even if you're a high liturgical church, like you want to be attractional based on the gospel. But, I mean, truly. Yes. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Like, there. Uh, so wait, I think. even un- Wait, unpack that for me. Yeah. I just think that like. God said, you know, Jesus is like, and you will be my witnesses. Like, I give you power. I give you the power of, like, forgiveness. I give you the power of the gospel. Like, and then that passage in Romans that's like, if no one's going to bring the message, like, who, if, if no one's ca- called to speak, who will hear it? And if you can't hear it, how will you grow? And if you don't grow, then how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news? So I think we're all called to the same mission, which is we actually are supposed to live our lives in such a way that like we're moving people towards it's attractional. (laughs) Attractional. Even like in Acts, I think it's 16 where James is meeting uh, or he's leading the council and they're all arguing and he's like, no, no, let's just make this easy, which is essentially like we're we're living this on the right, but like just stop eating food to that sacrifice to idols and stop being sexually immoral. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything else, we're open-handed. Yeah, we're not going to make you know? all these extra rules around yeah. the gospel because we want, because we're called mm-hmm. to this mission. So right? I would ar- I would argue that even if I were in a high liturgical church, and like that's what I, mm-hmm. that was my bent, I would I would say like, what does it look like for that to be attractive to an outsider? Mm-hmm. Right now, what would be different that I think is valid is that I think in a high liturgical church there is a what are we doing to form our people in a way that they themselves are attractional to their neighbors? And then you go do that and like your neighbor becomes a Christian. If they come to this church, great. Not, I do think an attractional model is a little bit more, how can we have the tools so that you would feel comfortable bringing a friend who ever, wherever they are in your faith, even if you yourself don't feel comfortable talking about your faith and there is validity in both of those models to me. Like, I think that's yes. their strengths and weaknesses in both of those. Models. And when I was saying like at the end of the day, because we're, we're talking power dynamics at the end of the day, the, the charisma of the speaker is, can be something right. Um, I mean, I've listened to a Catholic priest. It's super dynamic, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so yeah. like um, that, that can be something, but at the end of the day, what we're talking about ultimately until your point earlier, it's like, man, the heart and character of the church has got to be men and women together doing something, staying curious with one. And uh, that's weird, but we're, <laughs> we're on the we're show. On the you don't show. have to plug the show. Um, but having a level of curiosity, humility, and being courageous in our conversations together, Yeah, you know, so that you don't, so an attractive model doesn't have to be bad or the high liturgical model doesn't have to be bad. It's like those things have to be there. Hmm. That makes sense. I have a rebuttal, but we don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> I set myself up for failure, um, <laughs> which I love. I love failure and things that are less than perfect. Um, so any, I guess my last thing that I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to cover, and, and we don't need to cover it if you don't want to, but as somebody, you know, you are, we've been joking, but truly you are an author, you are a speaker, um, you are a pastor, um, but you're also somebody who helps other people with their churches. Yeah. You're a consultant. I don't know what the proper word is. Um, but 
as someone who also does that and wears that hat quite often, what's what what would you want people to hear? People mm. who you'll never who maybe you wish would uh, engage you for that yeah. particular service or who you may never meet but could use a service like that. What do you want them to learn from Mars yeah. Hill? People who are I'm the you know, whatever, I'm the the kids minister or the the admin at a church uh-huh. and I'm just like, Oof, this this podcast makes me feel like my structures maybe could use some work, you uh-huh. know, at our church. Oh yeah. What do you what do you want them to mm. hear? Is there something that This is a uh, yeah, and this taps into like my like deepest concern with these conversations is I feel like there's this is a weary this is a wearisome time in the world and I think it's an amazing opportunity where God is does seem to be deconstructing and reconstructing what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. God's never changed what that is, but perhaps we have diverged and deviated from that and we're we seem like we're back in a place where you have to begin to address that question for yourself. So for someone in a church, my concern is that they listen to Mars Hill, they decide their church is like that, or it's been one too many times that their pastors made them feel like crap and they're like, he's a narcissist or she's a terrible person or and they just want to chuck the whole thing and they chuck their faith. And that is my concern, um, especially in a time where I think we're more spiritually weary, which means we generally make not as good of decisions. So for the person who's listening, who's in a church right now, the first thing I would say is slow it down (laughs) and trust the Holy Spirit and use scripture as your guide, not your feelings or the news meet or your social feed or all the people that you follow on social media who all seem to have left their churches and it starts to feel like you need to or the fact that your pastor didn't meet with you on the day that you wanted him to like I get that those things are disappointing and it's difficult but we really this is a time to deepen your own roots in discernment not to just swing the pendulum the other direction and be like, forget it all. I did. It's not going to do this anymore. Uh, Seek counsel. There's great counsel out there and even more than ever before. And remember that the litmus test we have for our character and our leadership is Christ. It's not somebody else. Um, I remember working in a church where I was hearing, um, I was doing interviews to hear about kind of what was going on in the culture and in the staff culture. And what I heard, I was like, this isn't about At some point as pastors and leaders, this isn't about what's acceptable in this organization. It's about what's acceptable to Christ. Like that's actually our measurement. We don't have to figure it out. Like it doesn't matter what your staff values are. Like you can tell me all day long that you're reaching like in the Mark Driscoll case, but we're reaching so many people, but you're doing it as a jerk. And like we already have a litmus test for that. Like you don't, you, you don't get to decide. So for people in that situation, I'm like, do you seek the Lord yourself? Are you? Do you have outside counsel in your life that's not just in your church? Um, have you slowed it down to be patient so that you're not just rea- reacting, but also asking the question, what does it look like to be obedient and to be courageous right here in the place that God has placed me? So that's good. That's, that's my a, answer. That's a word. Great, <laughs> great uh, wrap up, I think, for this episode. Nicole, where is the best place for people to engage with your stuff? Mm, probably just come over. If you're on socials, I think just coming to socials, we usually try to keep things updated there with speaking schedule and stuff like that. Or you can come jump on my email. We don't spam you, but you won't miss things. And that's NicoleUnis.com. All right. What's awesome. your address in case they want to find you? Oh, yeah, oh I know they do. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. I'm sure if you put my name in, you can find out everything about me. Isn't yeah. that the way the world works? Yeah, <laughs> 
Um, well, thanks to Nicole for joining Thank us. You. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you have questions, quips, comments, or quotes, you can email them to staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Um, rate and review us if you get the chance. Share the episode so other people can get in on the conversation. And until next time, remember to stay curious. curious.